This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is my right-hand man, Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, D.D. Perkins, CEO and co-founder of ProCana. Thanks for taking the time, D.D. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for uh, having me on your show. I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to diving in. Kellen, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing well. It's sunny out here on the West Coast, and I'm going to just try to hold down the West Coast vibes. Why we got another East Coast guest on. How are you doing? Yeah. Look, look at you kind of diving. Now, I was going to ask Didi for the record to state her location, but thank you for, <laughs> for identifying that as another one for us. And I think we're keeping it moving. I'm excited to kind of tie him up at the end of the year and see kind of what that split is. So, Didi, before we kind of dive into some of the questions, can you give our listeners a little bit about background about you and how you got into the cannabis space? Sure. You know, full disclaimer, I never expected to be in the cannabis in space. So it's, it's interesting. It's been quite a journey, but um, I was a writer or am a writer. And in 2013, one of my clients said, you know, that she had someone who needed help with an application and could she give um, him my name? I said, sure. Uh, it turned out to be um, a consultant who was working on one of the first competitive uh, vertical licenses in Massachusetts, medical. I knew nothing about medical marijuana at the time. was a little taken aback, really just didn't, you know, and so I had to do a little bit of research before I decided to accept the position. I did. And uh, man, I've never looked back. I mean, at, that process was compelling. Met a lot of people um, at the national level. We ended up winning that license and just started getting work from big companies, small companies, consultants, uh, you know, I mean, there was so much work to be done, whether you were, you know, doing marketing, you know, patient testimonials, whether you were, you know, writing regulatory content for applications or employee, you know, policies, SOPs. Um, anyways, it was a, it was a really um, fast paced educational and, and business uh, process. It, within 18 months, my whole practice had, was in cannabis. So that was surprising, but it was awesome. And then in 2015, I went in-house with my largest client, um, which was Harvest, based in Tempe, Arizona. And um, when I joined the company, uh, they had just opened their second facility. I was employee 50 uh, by the time I left five years later. And my primary job at Harvest was um, to write the applications for, as they, for them to expand. So the competitive applications, um, although had a lot of different... Back then, you did whatever needed to be done as a growing company. But uh, when I left five years later, they had gone public, 1,000 employees, nine states. So I just had this really front seat view at, into the cannabis industry in its early days and saw a lot of amazing, hardworking, really smart people. But one thing that was consistent across all organizations was it was very, very difficult. There was a lot of stress. There was a lot of operational stress. Policies and procedures would change. Companies were like, you know, they would write SOPs, they'd be extracting in a certain way or processing in a certain way, but then they'd figure out a better way to do it. And so that everything was moving, you know, the staff turnover was incredible. People lost sight of the regs. And, you know, there was just a lot of operational stress and mistakes. Uh, you know, one client, I had woman was taking the place of one of their um, growers who was on vacation for a week. And I don't remember exactly if it was just overwatering or it was wrong nutrients, but she drastically lowered the flower um, output of, you know, a whole line of plants. And it was just a mistake if she had had a checklist, you know. Um, so anyways, I just kept imagining, let's put everybody in one hub. Let's, you know, easy access to the regs. Let's put the SOP, you know, training, auditing, collecting business and yeah, intelligence reporting. So basically, that's that was Procana quite a few years ago. We've been taking slow, steady steps and launched this year. So I'm excited to kind of pick some of those pieces apart, but I want to stay with the first experience you had with the application process. For our listeners that are just unfamiliar with what that's like, can you kind of give them like behind the scenes look? 
Like, how does that work? What does it look like from a paper standpoint, like from a size standpoint? Can you kind of take us through that process? Sure. States are different. I mean, that's one of the tricky things. But if it's a competitive application process, I mean, it's grueling. Uh, You know, you have to have boots on the ground. You have to have finances. You have to have people securing real estate. Um, You have to have, you know, specialists coming up with security plans and safety plans. Many states require a full book of SOPs, standard operating procedures, just to put in your application. Not all. But um, and then you have to have people make sure your applications, which I mean, one application we put in literally was 900 pages of all the supporting documents. They're often in the hundreds. And, you know, they just have to be, you have to address every regulatory requirement. You have to tell a story about why your company is worthy of getting the license, basically, how you're going to maintain compliance, what your culture is going to look like. It's just, it's a big undertaking and it takes a team. And in most states, it takes a fair amount of capital just to get to the licensure gate. Kellen, kind of expand on there. I know we've kind of dabbled a little bit there and like hearing her say that just kind of brings back some of the memories that we had throughout that process. And I, I continue to, to want people like Didi and experts in the space to share that experience because so many people are interested in kind of diving in, but sometimes don't recognize the sheer amount that goes into kind of getting started. So Kellen, kind of expand on that. Yeah, I think one of the most overlooked aspects of the application process, especially in the early days, was... The simple fact that I guess it was kind of like the blind leading the blind. Right? <laughs> like the regulators didn't really know what what they were even putting out there from a license standpoint. They were like, okay, like you can grow weed. Like, what does that even mean? And so add the competitive aspect to the application process. And it's almost like you can't leave any stone unturned, right? And that's why, I mean, I've gone through some of the Florida applications and they're the same kind of beast, if you will, in the 900, 1,000 pages. And I mean, some of the ancillary information that's included in those is just completely overkill, in my opinion, at least, right? Like they literally are utilizing, like they're including the resumes and the CVs for all of these individuals that they might potentially hire. You know what I mean? And it's insane to me that that was like, a piece of information that clearly was valuable because every application included the resumes of people they might hire, right? And I mean, you don't see that in any other industry, period, right? Like if you're going to go start a gas station, right, in any state, they're not, the state's not going to ask you for the resumes of potential future employees that you might hire, you know what I mean? And so what was that process like going through and trying to figure out, okay, do we just unturn every single rock that we can think of? Did you just kind of decide that you guys were just going to overkill it? Kind of walk us through that that thought process, Judy, in terms of deciding where to draw that line. Yeah, um, certainly. I mean, I worked for a number of different companies and each you know consultant or whoever was leading the team had a different approach. I will say in general, if they were serious and it was a very competitive state, most of the teams pulled out the stops and, and they did it in different ways. Some of the consultants absolutely looked at best practice. They looked to pharma, they looked to other industries to you know set standards, uh, whether it's storage standards, standards, security standards, you know, extraction or growing, or you know, whether they're going to use GAP standards, GMP standards. And you know, a lot of companies overpromised in those applications. I think in the beginning they had the best of intentions, but then the reality of actually implementing some of the things that you had promised was 
incredibly difficult and expensive. And it was just the industry was learning. Uh, you know, um, I think other companies would look at strategy and they would say, okay, we're going to, they literally would, would uh, many of the companies did this, you know, you would literally break down the, the possible, how you could get a hundred, how you could get the A plus, you know, you'd get extra points if you had a community impact plan or extra points. Now, I think it was Ohio that, you know, if you promised to reclaim a brownfield, you got extra points, you know, and do some environmental cleanup. You know, if you went into disadvantaged communities and, you know, you said you were going to, you know, you were committed to hiring X amount, you know, those were all ways to get extra points. And some companies were willing to do it and some weren't. And so it's, it's a very strategic process, no matter which way you fall in, you know, best, we're going to do it absolutely the best. We're going to hire the best people to your comment about resumes. I think that was very much about, we are serious here. And, and, you know, the people that we, there's a lot of fear. I find that there's greed and fear largely in the cannabis industry. Both of those emotions tend to get a little overblown, but to, you know, to, to speak to the fear piece, if you have amazing PhDs or chemists or, you know, growers who came out of other industries or, you know, people in retail that had deep backgrounds, it was reassuring to state regulators. And often these state regulators, honestly, they were new at this too. It was, we were all figuring out together. So you never knew what was going to make you win. And, you know, and the states said, hey, you can add anything you want as ancillary material. Those are the states that ended up with the 900 pages because you thought, well, uh, who knows what anybody else is going to put in. We better put them in too. It just got out of hand. Yeah. Can only uh, then I think then some states reacted and said, okay, we, we can't. It's just too hard to even review it in a meaningful way. So then they started putting interesting. Different states handled it differently. I think the like the crazy part there is the fact that you brought up that like everyone was figuring it out together, which is such a challenging process, right? Because it's not like there's like a script to follow and be like, previously, this is how it went down. So we're just going to follow this suit. Everyone's left to kind of figure it out on their own, which just makes the whole experience a little more daunting, but a little a little more like pave the road that you believe is best practices. So let's kind of dive yep. into some of those best practices. In your experience, from a compliance standpoint, is there one myth that's sometimes debunked more than the others? I'm not sure I answer. The, I understand the question, but um, I think certainly everybody was trying to win and, and they, and because like I said in the beginning, like for one of your facilities, you know, you'd be doing it this way and it would be a good solid product. Right. But then you would hire a grower or a manufacturer that came out of another industry that, or maybe just, you know, and all of a sudden they brought in more sophisticated techniques. Okay. So now you're, you're changing the way you're going to apply the next time, right? Everything is just getting more sophisticated and more sophisticating. I think there are two preconceptions about compliance and they're both true. One is that there are operators who will never care about it. They are interested in the plant. They are interested in cannabis. They just want to do their thing. They want to be left alone. They don't see it being a differentiator. And honestly, they just hope, you know, that, or they just believe it's not, they're not going to get caught. And if they do get caught, they can survive. And then there are the people that some of them are new to cannabis. Some of them came out of other regulated industries that they want to differentiate their brand on doing everything right. You know, they want their security protocols, their production, their you know, really to be the best of the best, you know, world-class standards and very different mindsets. Both types of people honestly have very successful businesses. Obviously, I fall more in the compliance. Let's let's put some structure and let's, you know, uh, put some expectations and mitigate risk. So it's some people honestly care about it and some people don't. I want to kind of stay on that topic. So, I mean, the most common buzzword thrown around in the industry right now, right, is CGMP and it's coming, right? You want to get CGMP yeah. ready or even uh, GAP, which is good agricultural practice, correct? Right. How impactful do you think those certifications will be in like the next three three years? Or do you think it's more of something that it's probably not going to be implemented for 10 years? Or do you think it 
truly requires federal legalization to be implemented. Because I know companies in Canada have to play by normal manufacturing rules when compared to right. companies in, in the U.S. at least. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on like a timeline for those, the impact that having a CGMP certification will actually be required? When do you think that'll happen? I don't know, honestly. I think it's going to be tied to the federal, um, you know, whatever happens with the feds. I mean, I think now there are a lot of companies um, interested in GMP practice. They want they want to do it right, but they also want to differentiate their brand, right? Maybe their yeah. their market is that you know a fifty year old female, right? You know, there, there's part, segments of the the industry that are growing faster than others, and and it might be nice to be able to you know as part of your brand marketing, you know, to just basically say this is the safest, our standards are the highest, right? So there's a there's a you know a, a profit driven um, reason to have GMP standards. But, you know, if you're a little craft grower and you might be doing everything right, but the GMP standards are expensive. And, uh, you know, it's, I am all about doing it right, but sometimes it's just not feasible. And I really don't want the standards to be so high that we put all the, you know, the craft growers um, out of business, honestly. So I, we'll see where that all goes. Do you think there's a semblance of trust with consumers now that just believe that there is this high standard that everyone adheres to just given the fact that they can purchase these products and understanding that other industries follow this and just, just maybe a false sense of security when they purchase some of these products? Yeah, I do. Um, I do. I think, you know, some states don't require testing. In Maine, the state, you know, we're based in the new adult use regulations. They require testing, but medical doesn't. So, I mean, and, and I'm not going to take a stance on this, but, you know, you really have to trust your grower. You know, if you're a lot of people that are buying medical are not, you know, immunocompromised, but a lot are. And, you know, you honestly don't know what's in there. Are there heavy metals or there pesticides or there's mold or mildew? Like you have a lung disorder and you're so, I mean, um, yeah, I think it depends on who they're buying from and how much they trust them. But I do think people look at those. Yeah, they think it's it's sort of sanctioned if it's in a in a licensed dispensary. And we all know testing standards are... The amount of faith humans in our society puts in labels. I did not realize how much faith is in there until I got into the cannabis industry oh, yeah. and was part of the manufacturing aspect and then literally was talking to consumers. And they're like, oh no, it's got a label on it. It's completely fine. And it, it's, it was just so enlightening to yep. see how much faith humans put yep. in just a, a, a label on a product. It's, it's insane, honestly. So it is insane. Yeah, but but they, but they don't have any way to know it either, right? Yeah, no, they're totally, right? They're not in the industry, right? They don't <laughs> really 100% understand. And so they're thinking, okay, I don't, I don't care really about that label. I really just want, want you know, but... I think it's not the labels. <laughs> I think it's the fact that they can buy it, like you were saying, Didi, in like a medical store that people just assume... Test it, right? And you can ask right. people here in New York, oh, what does tested mean? And they're like, safe. And it's like, well, you're just associating things together and good luck there. But that's fine. But how do we then, as an industry, kind of marry the standards between consumer education and then safety and accuracy of the industry? But also, like you were saying, don't put the craft gr growers out of space based on the cost. Like, how do we balance those two things together? I wish I had the answers. You know, I think it's, you know, we're, we're, it's going to be trial and error where, you know, some states are going to overkill, some states are going to underkill, you know, and the feds are going to, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's an easy solution, honestly, but I, you know, I do know the states that are going to be friendlier are going to have more vibrant, you know, smaller companies in the space and companies that are really, really high standards, you know, they're going to have the, the, the big box cannabis companies. And yeah. um, so, you know, the regulations and, and the standards definitely have effect on who's playing. So um, in the game. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's so fragmented right now too. I mean, every, like you just mentioned in Massachusetts, the difference between the adult and the medical market, that difference is common throughout a lot of states I've seen. And I mean, just look at even adult use markets, right? Like Colorado has different regulations than California to bring a a product to the market and have it sit on a, a retail shelf. And so... From an MSO perspective, managing all of these different regulations, I don't know if you call testing requirements regulations, yeah. probably. Yeah, right. Is that that would be something that ProCana really is uh really strong at, correct? Absolutely. I mean, they, our whole platform is, you know, giving easy access to the regs and the standards and then and being able to compare. So you might have one process that you pretty much do in all your facilities, but you have to tweak depending on what it is. You're going to have to tweak it. If you're doing it in California, you're going to have to do it slightly different standards than the way you're doing it in Arizona yeah. or your way you're doing it in Pennsylvania or Maryland. So, you know, there's a lot of commonality with operations, but then those really important differences, you need a way to be able to reasonably manage all those SOPs and policies and regulations under, you know, and have easy access to the, to what makes them different, but also being able to count on the the, the base of your operations. Are, are this going to be the same state to state? So it's tricky. And, and, you know, I mean, states, sometimes it's not even an, a legislative change. I mean, Massachusetts and so other states too are famous for putting out guidance. So the CCC will say, okay, here, you know what the advertising and marketing reg is, but here's how we're going to, you know, this is how we're going to address billboards. Right. And so, or this, this is how we're going to address X. And so you you have to keep up with all the sort of, you know, memos that got that get and how they're interpreting the regulations. And, you know, you multiply that by multiple facilities and multiple states and different teams, cultivation, manufacturing, retail, they all have different regs. It's just, it's complex. With exposure and like, say I'm an operator and I have operations in multiple states and now I have exposure to all this information. Do you guys help like translate all that information and kind of strategically figure out what the best place to kind of sit on that spectrum, if you will, where say like Massachusetts has this specific policy on billboards versus Florida versus California. Do you kind of help the company come up with like custom strategies for each state they're operating in? Or or do you guys kind of just more take a a hands-off approach with those kind of conversations and just let them interpret the information that you guys provide? So we will certainly, you know, if someone said to us, can you give us a memo? Like we're we're software as a service, big on service. So we will definitely say to somebody, okay, you know, you're a new, um, you know, compliance person in in Florida and you will put that report back together for you. So we'll say this is, these are the advertory regs in the different states. What we won't do is we won't give any legal advice how we're interpreting them. We can give you all the support documentation and we can, you know, refer you to consultants that we know do a good job. But, um, you know, we are basically a curator of information. We see ourselves sitting between our company, our cu- customers and the regulatory agencies. Um, and um, so it, it's our job to deliver the information, you know, in a timely, clear, understandable fashion. That's what our highest use is, I think. Make sure you always have what you need to have to make a decision. And we will support you, but we draw the line at legal advice or, you know, helping you strategize. But again, we'll we'll help you find somebody if if you're looking for referrals. We have a bunch of people that, you know, we can hand out names and, you know, help you start the vetting process. I want to go back to something you said a little a little bit prior about like all the states and all the different challenges. So hypothetically, eventually we'll get to federal legalization. We'll we'll institute one set of common standards throughout the United States, hopefully. At that time, everyone's going to have to then, I guess, essentially shuffle back into their carbs, change everything they're essentially doing, adjust all their SOPs, all their policies, and kind of almost restart with a new set of rules and regulations. Is that kind of how it's going to work? 
again, we don't really know, but I, I sort of think, and I, I think a lot of people agree that it's going to be more like alcohol. So there's state rights. The states have their basic uh, regulatory systems, and then the, the federal regulations will sit on top of that, you know, so they will deal with maybe interstate commerce or, you know, how you're transporting cannabis or safety, you know, uh, the FDA will, you know, so um, we think that it will just add one more layer, honestly, of top of what's going on. But most cannabis operators, if they're paying attention to the regs, they're always changing anyways. Yeah. They're, they're, it, it's not static. So, you know, it's uh, it's a moving target, you know, not month to month, but often, you know, quarter to quarter, you know, year to year, things change. So your team must have significant exposure to all of the compliance changes and kind of sitting there with the front seat row to the to the show, if you will. Do you guys get... Are you guys contacted by like people from Washington to see how specific regulations kind of play out from a pattern perspective from all these different states that are coming online? Is that some some type of the I don't know if you can even talk about that, but yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. just curious, right? Because like yeah, yeah. you guys have significant exposure to how these how the rules are playing out and creating these functional industries. I would imagine someone would be like, hey, what's what do you guys see that's working, right? Yep. Um, I mean, we're a brand new company, honestly. So, I mean, we are, we have built the content where we are in six states. We're building, we're finishing up New Jersey adult use and Maryland in the next couple of weeks. And so we're building out the content, um, you know, on a state by state basis. We're, you know, we're a startup basically, you know, um, our, our tools are available in all the states with legal cannabis programs, although we have not started to market that at all. So, you know, we're certainly getting invitations, um, to take part in, you know, standards, the ASTM, you know, just different committees. And it's just beginning, honestly, we launched in January, we didn't even really go to the market until July. So um, we'll see where that all goes. But there's a lot of people who know a lot more than I do, honestly, you know, I mean, we get experts in the states, and we build out, you know, each states and, you know, most of the MSOs have lobbyists that are, you know, have been doing this for years, all the, you know, the an international organization. So, you know, I'm not sure we'll ever be a big player in that. But um, yeah, it's an interesting space to be in, certainly. Is there one state that has more stringent regulation policies like than all the others? Or can you give us kind of a spectrum map of one state you think is really tighter with the regulations and then one on the other end that's a little more loose? Well, I mean, you know, you get like, here's the other thing is you can have a lot of regulations, but if you don't enforce them, you know, it's so that's it. And that changes state to state, right? You can have all the regulations in the world, but if nobody's looking, half of the operators are probably not complying with everything, right? I mean, right. That's just the fact. So, and that tends to go in phases. It depends on who's running the agencies, how much money, COVID, a lot of the enforcement stopped. So uh, we're in a sort of a reset period right now. I mean, we're seeing a lot of fines coming out of Nevada. I mean, so, I mean, all of a sudden they're stepping up their enforcements. I know the math CCC is looking to expand their staff. Um, and, you know, we're seeing some, some attention there, you know, and then there's some state that honestly, it's a really low bar. You know, if you get $2,000 in a pulse, you can operate a, a cannabis business, you know? So, and in California, that's like its own country, you know, you get the state, you get county, you get municipality. So <laughs> they're all, they're all a little different. Do you think that's why some of the big MSOs are interested in going there? Or do you think it's more of the, the maturation of that market? I think it's a lot of things. I mean, you know, I think it's regulations are heavy. You know, there's still a, uh, a vibrant uh, legacy market. Uh, you know, I just think it's complicated. It's, it's not the easiest market to go into. And if you're a new company, you know, there's probably lower hanging fruit that you can be successful. I think eventually a lot of companies want to be in California, honestly. Uh, but whether they start there, I mean, some obviously a lot of companies started there. Um, some of the, you know, right. But a lot of people are shying away from it a little bit now. But they're working on it, right? They've, they've got them all in one agency now, the right. Finally, and, and finally. So, <laughs> yeah, um, so, you How know, long? We're moving in the right direction. 
you know, what a surprise. Let's just get all the people who are making decisions in one room and make one uniform decision. I mean, that's pretty complex thinking there, guys. Yeah. I mean, California's a street fight, if we're going to be honest. Like, right. So let's talk about protecting your company's valuation with a strong compliance culture. Can you kind of shed some more information on that? Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you're paying attention to compliance and you're documenting your operations, it shows two things. Uh, one of our first customers, um, literally one of the first people on the platform at a beta level, we put him on on a Friday. Monday, he had, by Monday, he had created like this 30 question audit that they were, they were a big auditing company. And um, over the next couple of weeks, they went into, he started doing auditing his facilities. And one of the um, dispensaries, they identified an issue, I believe it was with a visitor log totally documented in Procana. The facility manager was, you know, notified. They were, you know, they had a remediation process in place. And again, the, at that point, enforcement was not really all that active. So they didn't really expect it to get, you know, they figured it would just stay in house and fix it. Uh, literally, like the next week, they had a surprise audit and the regulator found the exact same issue, which is a kind of a big issue because it's access and, and protection. And, um, you know, the facility manager said, oh, wait, you know, we figured this out 10 days ago and this is what we were doing. They didn't even get a deficiency. They didn't get a fine. They they said, you know, like what we're looking for is not that a company never makes mistakes, but they're being proactive to find and fix their mistakes. So, um, you know, I think that that's one way that just having a compliance culture works in your favor. Certainly, if you want to, you know, sell the supply chain is getting more and more sophisticated. Investors are getting more and more sophisticated. If you can document your operations, you know, you were on your packing line, checking that, you you know, in April and, you know, May and, and July and everything's copacetic, you know, your inventory is always stored a certain way and that's all documented. Again, I think a lot of investors are now looking for compliant operations. They don't want headaches. There's a lot of people to choose from out there. And so they really want the companies when they go through the due diligence process to be able to prove their operations and prove their, the finances and that everything's in line. So as the industry gets more sophisticated and uh, yeah, I just think that just like any company, a good solid company with records and, and processes and um, risk mitigation is going to get higher valuations than someone who may be producing a really great product, but there's a lot of risk. Um, so, you know, they're just, they're just running by the seat of their pants. And so you don't really know what you don't know in that operation. And you got to, if it's apples to apples, okay, I can put my money in this company. I can put my money in this company. You know, I mean, different investors might make different decisions, but I would say that most are going to choose the the more organized company if the products are equal. And a lot of those uh, compliance aspects that you just listed off are requirements for obtaining like a CGMP accreditation as well, right? So they oh, play yeah. hand in oh, hand. Yeah. Yeah, you you can't get GMP stand with, without uh, uh, without being organized, without a real commitment to a system. So, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, you can you can be compliant without GMP, but you can't be you know you, you can't have GMP standards without a fairly compliant. sophisticated totally. compliance system. Yeah. So you guys are kind of just helping people take that first step, eh? We are, you know. I mean, but <laughs> I have to say, we we really thought when we launched that we would be dealing with, you know, um, single state companies that had multiple facilities, you know, five, six, 10 facilities in one state. You know, we thought the bigger MSOs, you know, would, would just be too big for us, but we're having some very interesting conversations all across the the, um, the industry. And interestingly enough, um, when we first started talking, we were getting conversations from 
accountants and attorneys and cannabis consultants that were looking for a tool to use with their clients. So all of a sudden there's there's this whole trusted advisor piece of the market that um, really gets what we're trying to do. And often the operators don't really want to do this. So they hire, you know, their their attorney or their consultant. And so we're we're having a lot of traction with that trusted advisors who are then introducing the product into the operators systems. But we also have um, we were working in Massachusetts. My co-founder was at a networking event, started talking with a gentleman who was in the social equity, the second cohort in Massachusetts. And they got talking and we showed him what Procana could do. And he's like, it would be really helpful just access to the regulations with all of the, you know, the pre-licensure, basically applicants. And so we, you know, we had met a couple of people, had conversations and decided to, um, basically give away our platform to anybody who was a social equity participant right through licensure, right through becoming operational, and then at a steep discount for a couple of years. So so now we're we're dealing with, you know, people that are in the pre-licensure phase, the applicants. And so they're building their SOPs, they're you know, writing their applications using Procana. So that's been very, very cool. Very exciting. Didn't see that coming. Love that it that it's really working well. So and and we roll that out. I mean, if the state has a sort of a um, priority group, whether it's economic empowerment, veterans, women, you know, um, social equity, we will honor those same, that same uh, program in the state. So that's an incredible story, by the way. So organic, like phenomenal. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, you just got to jump in wherever you are, but you don't really know what it's going to look like. You just got to keep trying to do your best every day and you, you see where you end up. So what's one cannabis compliance fact that the average person would be shocked to learn? Oh boy. You got me. <laughs> well, you're like all ten of these would I wish shock I wish people. I had that question before, I would have had a good answer. I, I kind of went blank. Um, I, you know, I, what's I the first thing that came to your mind? Inventory control. I mean, some states require daily, weekly inventory control, which is a monstrous task. You know, and that how closely some states are trying to control that whole seed to sale process. The thought of you know tracking something from the time it is seed to the time it is dispensed in a package is a little mind blowing. If you're in the industry, that's just the way it is. But if you actually think about it, it's intense. It's mind blowing. So um, you know, yeah, I would say that the inventory control. There's like a million moving parts. I think Kellen, you described one time as like operating six different businesses all wrapped in one. And unfortunately, with six different businesses, you can't just take Charlie from manufacturing and drop him off in cultivation and be like, hey, like, this is kind of like your equal counterpart. Maybe it's a different division, but like, good luck out there. We need you to fill in. No, no, (laughs) just no. The other thing that blows me away is some states, if, you know, you're licensed, if you're a dispensary agent, not only are you you have to have a different license for every company, the, every yep. store you work in. So, I mean, you might be licensed in Tempe, Arizona, but you can't fill in in Scottsdale unless you have a second, you know. And you got to go get your fingerprints in Scottsdale too. Right. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. <laughs> I mean, it's just, and, and, and the financial, I mean, it's it's just incredibly difficult for the operators because, man, the, it just seems a little onerous, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it's one thing to just have this, uh, be the dispensary agent for a company in a state. But to actually tie them to a location just seems to, I mean, I'm sure there's a reason that I don't understand, but it seems to just um, be unrealistic, you know, put shackles on, you know, I mean, sometimes you just have to move people around, you know, and, and they're happy to do so as long as they're in that same vertical. I can see why you wouldn't want a dispensary agent going to cult or the other way around. But yeah, you know, especially so, as that, companies are nuts. growing as fast as they're growing, right? You have to sometimes look internally to be like, hey, like you're a superstar on one team, we need you to help out. And then you're like, all right, we got to take these six steps before we kind of move you. He just kind of layers the complexity on top of each other and makes the challenges even harder. 
which is, I, I think, sometimes daunting for us even inside the industry to hear. And I think sometimes outside industry people like don't recognize all these additional hurdles that are just layered on top of people in the cannabis space. Yeah, that's a big one. I mean, the team to even manage the agent license renewals and some of the, they have to be renewed every year. You know, I mean, it's just the moving parts, the spreadsheets are, yeah, they're daunting. I think you said it perfectly when you said the moving target, right? Like people are shooting for a moving target. So it's like, you crushed it last quarter, but this quarter we're going to do it slightly different and then slightly different and slightly different. So it keeps people on their toes and, and people have to become a little more comfortable with being uncomfortable. But my God, that is a really sliding scale challenge. When people are looking for best cannabis compliance practices, is there differences between MSOs, cultivators, and retails? Like how, how would that work? If a, if a large scale MSO would want to come to you and say, hey, we need help with this. We're trying to get started. We want to revisit this so we can be ready for GMP. What would you recommend from best practice standpoint? I think just jump in, you know, whether and every company is going to be in a different place. You know, I mean, if you think about mitigating your risks, you know, you know what you do well, you know, probably where you got issues, you know, just jump in, figure out, you know, maybe you just start with auditing. You just take it, you evaluate, okay, how are the different departments doing? And and then really just jump in, whether you just get your SOPs on and you want to try to standardize where they're, give everybody access. They're all stored in the same place. Everybody can, maybe it's that. I mean, honestly, there are companies that have SOPs on a printed lower shelf that nobody looks at. They have departments that they have them in one place. I mean, you know, even just standardizing, localizing, centralizing access to your SOPs is a big plus. So really depends, you'd have to talk to them and say, what makes, where, where should we jump in for your company? Um, But starting is again, just half the battle. What percent of cannabis operators do you think have a compliance officer on their team? hundred. Not many. Wait. Not many. I would say a hundred percent. I would say no way. Every, no way. Every company, every, no, it's like, you, you can't get by without it. A right? soul, like, a they soul may, compliance Yeah, one hundred percent. Like they may not be, have that title on their name, but like it is a full-time job. Like for sure. Running compliant, like I, I've worked in for five different companies and every, and from really, really large to really, really small, like you cannot move a plant from room A to room B without entering it into the computer and changing the tech. Like you need That's to print a new barcode. And so like, it is absolutely impossible for any company to sell one molecule of THC without the compliance person on staff, period. But like that's a full-time role though. Where yeah, like and they, they, may not, they, may, they may not have that title, but there is someone at every single company who has spent way too much time in either metric or the third-party software like Backbone or Kraken or another software platform. Because not only is it so complicated, like metric is so complicated yeah. that you need to be a software developer and a coder to play with metric. So then they made another software platform that you have to buy that then plays with metric. So then you have to be an expert at this other software platform. So like every single company I've ever worked for, like the lowest end extraction tech has an understanding on how to input information into a compliance software platform because they have to keep track of data. They have to do like compliance officers, like from the state inspectors will come in and they'll look at jars. They'll look at Totes, they'll scan barcodes because that's what it is. Barcode, they just scan it and it comes up in their on their iPad, right? So, like, hundred percent, they may not have the title compliance officer, but every single employee at hundred percent of the companies has had exposure to compliance software, and there's someone there who has spent an ungodly amount of time in front of the software platform 
getting through training protocols, being certified by the, the third-party software. It's just, you can't run the business without it. Like, it's impossible. Either that or you're working in the legacy market. <laughs> you know, I want like, to ask for it. There are some there are some states that that I think that that is not true. I think you know um, I also that could be true because I only have exposure on the West Coast. So and uh, you know your point though is they may not have that title. Most depart. I mean I don't know that most companies have one compliance person. So I was thinking like that yeah. centralized compliance person. That's what so I was that thinking was, too. It, so I mean I think um, there's a lot of companies that don't have that one single responsible party, but the department managers are running it. You know, they're trained oh, and they God. pass it along. But compliance, you know, I mean, I've said this many times. I feel like the first decade, it was just moving so fast. You know, it was it was chaos was the name of the game. You know, just massive, you know, just growth and and you know, land grab and license grab. Now we're getting a little bit more settled and a little bit more mature, a little bit more professionalized. And so I think you'll see more and more companies even give people that title, if that's what you will, or or give, you know, multiple people in a company that title. But yeah, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're going to do the GMP process, there better be someone to run that because that is no small feat. That, okay. So yeah, and as soon as you get there, you're yeah. already organized, right? Yeah. You, you have somebody running that. So, yeah. but Other, um, yeah, to Callan's point, you know, it is just, part of the way you, yeah, you function, you know, function right <laughs> right yeah so Didi, since you've been in the cannabinoid industry what has been the biggest misconception the fear piece always you know that there's just a lot of people smart people that just are really uncomfortable gateway drug you know that they uh, they it's it's a it's an emotional response even if they think it isn't um and when you actually strip it back it is a plant right you know we need to understand the chemicals it is you know um so i, I still that comes people not wanting to say that they're in the industry depending on which you know which part of the country you live in or you know your your circle i mean you know there are people in my world that are still absolutely shocked that i would be in the cannabis industry and you know some a lot of people think that's very cool a lot of people are like yeah i, I don't know why she's doing that so you know and i think it's that fear that just really lack of understanding what we're talking about but that's changing i think that's changing before we do predictions we ask all of our guests if you can sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation what would it be work harder, be willing to work harder than you've ever worked before. I mean, it's just, it takes a lot and, uh, you know, just do the best you can, you know, just, just give it all every day, show up and leave it on the field. Um, and you know, pretty general, but you know, those are, those are the best pieces (laughs) of advice, right? They beat the test of time. So like, I think those are the best pieces of advice. And it's worth it. You know, I mean, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. Especially at the speed things are changing. I mean, where else can you find it in an industry where like you're saying, it's literally a moving target continually. So if you're looking to get some fast paced environment, in an industry that's absolutely exploding, that's hard. You chose the right one. <laughs> Certainly. All right, so let's Certainly. do prediction time. Didi, what do you think is the number one compliance issue that will change over the course of the next year that operators should be aware of and planning for? Enforcement. I think that I think you you know you you're really going to just have to be ready to to prove that your operation is compliant. You know, I don't know that there's any one thing that's going to change. I do think GMP standards are they're they're coming. You know, so if you're really a forward thinker, you might want to be moving down that path. So, but uh, you know, I think that compliance is now. 16 months ago, you know, a year and a half ago, it was, you know, if you talked about compliance, people glazed over. And now all of a sudden people are realizing that, um, you know, it's just a fact of life right now, I think. So just be ready. Be ready. Kellen? That's a tough question. That's a really tough question. It really is because it's like, like Didi said, like it's not, there's not one situation I think that like really stands out because like if it was that case, like everyone would be aware of it, in my opinion. Like the, 
the painful part of compliance is that there is so many angles of compliance. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you, know, you know what yeah. I mean? So I am going to take the easy, easy way out. And I'm just going to piggyback on Didi's answer. <laughs> <laughs> I might say testing. Be prepared for more standardized testing. Labs to, you know, that may be moving quickly, you know, that, but, you know. Perhaps. Yeah, I, I think enforcement though, I think, and specifically in California, I think with the three agencies becoming one now, right? The DCC, mm-hmm. that's what the new agency, or is it the BCC? Yep. The it DCC? was the BCC. No, yeah, now it's, yeah, there's so many acronyms, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I like how every side. I like how every state comes up with their own unique acronym. By the way, we're different, <laughs> <laughs> but I do. Um, to get back on, on to my point, I think that with California consolidating their regulatory bodies, I think you will start to see significantly more enforcement start to take place, and I think another supporting aspect of that is this last Q3 of 2021 was California saw a 12% decrease in tax revenue from cannabis sales, which I think is a direct result of lack of enforcement and all these companies flooding the market and not having to play the same games that legal companies are. So they're able to sell their product at a significant discount and still generate revenue versus other companies that are playing the proper games that are forced to now potentially close their doors because they can't compete because they had to spend all this money doing it the right way where all these right. other people didn't and they undercut them from a price point and now they're not able to generate revenue. So I think a combination of those two, two variables are really going to... You're going to see significant enforcement in specifically the state of California because they got to, they got to rein that in in order to facilitate a legal market. Yep. They got to get control of it. Yep. All right, Brian. That's your, now it's your turn. You know, I, I know I write the question, which means I have like ample time to think about it. But I never I never do. And every like when I wrote this one, I was like, this one's hard. I hope there's something that comes to my mind. But I try to make it natural off the top. And now like hearing it, it's like, yikes, this is this is harder than I thought it would Tricky. be. Um, this is hard. Um, especially because the time frame of a year goes so fast in cannabis. And you know, one compliance issue, I'm gonna swing for internal testing. Unfortunately, I think something bad will have to happen again, similar to Vacate, where others look internal and say, hey, we got to figure out what we can do better internally to make sure that the consumer is safe and that the industry continues to live on. And I think that involves instituting real-time sensors into process to make sure that the product adheres to the highest quality control standards so that everyone can feel comfortable when they select these products. Because the one thing we can all be sure about is Unfortunately, the consumer is not going to become more educated and say, hey, I need to see these things. They're still going to adhere to that level of trust no matter what and just assume because I can buy it here. So we need to do a better job internally of meeting their standards like all the other industries have. And it's going to be a financial cost for a lot of these operators, but so are the other areas. But this one's an important one from a safety standpoint. And I just hope that the area that is negative that leads everyone to move forward in this space is not one that's so daunting on the space like Vapegate that sets us back for months at a time. Right. Well said. Definitely agree. So, Didi, for our listeners that want to get in touch, they want to learn more about Procana, where can they reach you? Um, our website, procana-usa.com. Uh, I'm always on LinkedIn, Didi Perkins. I you know, definitely respond as much as I can. So, um, yeah, happy to talk to anybody who's interested and you know, wants to 
chat about compliance in the United States awesome. <laughs> or anywhere else, actually, for that matter. But yeah, from a global <laughs> yeah, standpoint, we can chat about that like a whole Yeah, that's session. another conversation. Oh God, that's hard. Thank you yeah. so much for your time, Didi. Thank you. I've enjoyed yeah. talking with you both. Have yeah. a good one. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.